in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything that God had ever made was intended for God to demonstrate his glory, his perfection, his great worth. And that means that people like you and like me were created by God as the pinnacle of his creation for the sake of showing off to the universe around us the goodness and glory of God. We were made by God in his image, specifically designed to help creation see the greatness of God. In the very first man and woman in the garden, humanity began a rebellion against their creator. Tempted by the devil, captured by our own desires, people for thousands of years have repeatedly chosen to disobey the standards of God, choosing to dishonor God instead of showing off God's glory. And were someone to look at the world and see the evil thoughts, the the evil motives, the cruel actions of humanity over the centuries, they might conclude by logical observation, they might conclude that God's plan to display his goodness in humanity had failed. By the way, you ever feel like that? You ever feel like you might have failed to show off all the glory God wants to show to you? But God's plan hadn't failed. Humanity never once took a turn that surprised God. He knew that his creation would rebel against him. And God had a bigger plan, a better plan. God had a plan not only of creation and love, but of redemption and rescue. God's plan included both the fall and the salvation of his people. God's plan included his display, not only of his power and his perfection, but also of his kindness and his mercy and his patience and his justice. And as we've seen over the last three weeks, God's plan has been in motion since before creation. Back in the garden at man's fall, God promised that he would send a person into the world, descended from the woman in the garden, who would crush the head of the devil and set things right between God and God's people. And God promised a man named Abraham that he would build a special nation through him and that through that nation, through that family, all the families of the earth would be blessed. Eventually, Abraham had a grandson named Jacob, and God changed, changed Jacob's name to Israel, and God promised Jacob that he would carry the promise of God's blessing to the world. And then about a thousand years later, Israel, now a nation of millions, had a king named David. And God promised David that David would have a descendant of his sit on the throne of the universe forever. And God's prophet Isaiah captured that promise for us in the words I want to read to you now from Isaiah 9, verses 2 and 6 and 7. The Bible says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So God told Isaiah years after David, that he was still planning to send somebody into the world to fulfill his promises. 
and the one to come would be a descendant of the woman, of Abraham, of Israel, and of David. He would be a king. He would be a savior. He would be God with us. How in the world could that all happen? Well, last week, we looked at the first 17 verses here in Matthew chapter 1. And those verses begin like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew began this book that he wrote with the genealogical record of a man, of Jesus. Matthew calls Jesus Christ, which means the anointed one, the chosen one, the promised one. Matthew connects Jesus with Abraham and with David. Jesus comes from just the right family to be God's promised one. But there's another question. How would he be God with us? I mean, I get that it's not that hard. I mean, it took some supernatural protection to have a child born, son of David, son of Abraham. But how? How can God be with us? How would he crush the devil? How would he rescue the people of God from the curse of their sin? And for that information, we turn to the account of how Jesus was born. It's so close to Christmas, guys. It's so close to that day when we feast and give gifts and celebrate the coming of the Savior to earth. So let's take a couple minutes this morning to see how he came. To thank God for the amazing things that he's done in sending the Christ, the Savior, to earth. And I'll go ahead and tell you so that one of you doesn't ask me later, there aren't going to be outline points. You know who you are, by the way. Yeah, no points. We're telling a story today. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So imagine again, if we're watching a movie, right? We saw the opening credits roll. Name after name after name after name. But finally the camera zooms in. And we see the events of the birth of Jesus. And Matthew is totally matter of fact about this. The birth of Jesus, who is the chosen one, happened like this. There's no question. There's nothing here that would, would be symbolic or confusing here. These are the facts of the birth of Jesus, plain and simple. When Mary, the last woman of that big genealogy, was engaged to Joseph, the last man in that big list, something crazy happened. Now, before we talk about the craziness, we need to understand a little bit of how engagements worked back in those days. Because, see, back then, when a young couple got engaged, it was a formal, legally binding thing. The parents of the couple would usually work out together the agreement perhaps without the two young people even having any say in the matter, which as a parent I'm starting to become a fan of. <laughs> Once that betrothal was finalized, the couple was legally considered at that point to be married, but they would not live together for a period of at least a year. That separation served two purposes. Number one, for the man, that was a time for him to spend building the house that they were going to live in. It was a chance for him to get things ready for his new life with his new wife. 
And for the woman, this year of separation served as a way to prove that she was pure. That way, no little miracle babies were born a couple months into the marriage to cast suspicion on the woman. You know what I mean, right? Okay. Well, during the time of the year of separation between Mary and Joseph, as Joseph is busily getting himself ready for their new life together, Mary turns up pregnant. Now, here's the major point to remember. Mary and Joseph were not together. Nothing happened between those two to make a baby. Joseph was not the father of the baby Mary was carrying. And let me be clear, for we moderns who think we're so much smarter than people years ago. Though science may not have been as advanced in the days of Joseph and Mary as it is today, Y'all know that people back then knew that it took a particular activity that involves a man and a woman to make a baby? They knew. They had it figured out. People knew that young girls don't just turn up pregnant. But Matthew says something really wild here. Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. That's a really weird turn of a phrase. Mary was pregnant... But the child was not Joseph's. Neither was that child the product of a dalliance between Mary and some unnamed third party. The child was that of the spirit of the power of God. How in the world could that be? Matthew doesn't even tell you. He gives you very little data. But Luke tells us a little bit more. If you flip over to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, you can pick up some background we might want. It says, at Luke one twenty sixth in the sixth month, now when you see a reference like that, you need to say, the sixth month from what? In the sixth month since the woman Elizabeth had found herself pregnant, cousin of Mary, long story. By the way, it has to be a funny story, by the way, if you think that story through, but that's just a little insider Bible humor. In the sixth month, since Elizabeth found herself pregnant, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth, sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, how many of us could use this line in our lives? Behold, 
I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Do you get this story? An angel sent from God. It's like a really powerful dude who often shows up shining. Somebody who had never ever sinned and never ever failed and was terrifying in his purity. A messenger from God comes and speaks to a little probably 12-year-old peasant girl. And he says she's going to have a child. And that child is going to be conceived by the power of God. There's no physical act that would happen. This is not some pagan myth, some sort of Zeus comes down in human form and causes a little godling to be born. The Bible doesn't look anything like the mythology of the day. Nothing. No physical act takes place between Mary and God, but God, by His power, causes a life to begin in the womb of this young virgin girl. And immediately after this revelation from Gabriel to Mary, the Bible says she gets up and she goes to spend about three months with her cousin Elizabeth, who is expecting a child in a miraculous way. Now, will you let your imagination run with me for just a second? Let's just pretend, we don't know this for sure, but do we have any reason to believe Joseph knows what Gabriel said to her at this point? During their engagement, Mary picks up and she goes somewhere between 60 and 100 miles south. And she's gone for three months. Then look at verse 19. And her husband Joseph, finding this all out, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. Maybe it was when she returned. Wouldn't that just mess up your day? Joseph assumed the logical conclusion. He assumed Mary had been unfaithful to the, him during their engagement. Maybe she went, when she went down south. And Joseph has three options here. He can ignore her infidelity and ignore the law of God in the process, which is not something he's going to do. He could publicly expose Mary as an adulteress and put her to shame. That would protect his reputation. That would give him the best out. Or Joseph could divorce Mary privately handing her a little certificate of divorce in front of only a couple witnesses and sending her on her way. Again, the engagement was binding. Joseph had to deal with the contract in order not to marry this girl. Well, here's what we know about Joseph. He was kind, he was merciful, and he could not marry this girl because it wasn't going to be right according to the law of God at that time. He didn't want to shame her. He didn't want to hurt her. I mean, look, everything we know says this guy loved this young girl. Right? It would have been just for him to put her out there and call her names, but he didn't. The character of Joseph wouldn't permit that kind of stuff. The only thing Joseph could possibly do according to his character is to divorce her as quietly as possible even though he was likely crushed by what he assumed Mary had done, he just wasn't willing to put her through the extra humiliation. He didn't want to hurt her. 
He just wanted to move on with life. Can you feel it? Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold. Okay, stop for a second. Don't run over the word behold in your Bible. Why do you think it's there? It's there to tell you, whoa, look, something crazy big is happening. As Joseph considered, what do I do with Mary? Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Just, again, let's play a little imagination here. Joseph, he goes to bed. Let's just say for the sake of drama, it's the night before he plans to meet Mary's family with the certificate in his hand that says, I put you away. You won't be my wife. His head must have been swimming with horrible thoughts, horrible hurt, a horrible sense of betrayal. How the man must have tossed and turned. How he must have replayed in his mind again and again Mary's words to him, Joseph, I'm pregnant. How his heart must have broken. How he must have found it impossible to believe her when she said, but, but, but I haven't been unfaithful to you, really, I promise. Finally, Joseph drifts off to an uneasy sleep. And suddenly, into Joseph's dream, walks the very angel who spoke to Mary. And he says to Joseph, don't be afraid to do what's right. The child that she's carrying, he's not the product of infidelity. Mary is carrying in her womb the very Son of God. How interesting, by the way, is it to you that the angel calls Joseph Son of David? That's a clue. That's a hint. Joseph would have known about God's promises. Joseph would have known how a descendant of David's was going to reign on the throne of the whole world forever. Joseph would have known about these promises that somebody was going to sit on David's throne and be called the mighty God with us. Joseph would have understood that the baby in the womb that that, that Mary was carrying, that this angel was telling Joseph, this is the very promised one that God has been predicting ever since the Garden of Eden. And the angel tells Joseph, she's going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus, which is a name that means God is our Savior. He's going to, bear, he's going to save his people from their sins. Think about this. Your baby's going to be called God saves. Is he going to save the nation from Rome? No, 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 no. It's much bigger than that. The angel says this kid is going to save God's people from their sins. This is the rescuer God has promised, not only to Abraham and to David, but to the people back in the garden when he promised the devil that the descendant of the woman was going to crush his very head. This is the one God said would be a sacrifice for the sins of many in Isaiah 53. This baby boy coming is going to be God, he's going to be king, he's going to be savior. 22, verse 22 of Matthew chapter 1. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here we go. Matthew says, look, God actually promised this. God promised that a virgin would conceive a child. That's from Isaiah 7:14, which says, Behold, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. See, in Isaiah's day, that weird little verse was intended to comfort a king of that time period who feared an enemy attack. But God intended this word to be a prediction of something bigger and something more amazing. God coming to earth through the miraculous means of a virgin conception. Then verses 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. And, and there it is, right? It happened. Joseph did what the angel told him to do. He married Mary, but didn't consummate the marriage until after the child was born. And do you notice this amazing event, this glorious promise fulfilled? How much description does Matthew give us of it? None, really. We, we know Joseph and Mary didn't come together as husband and wife until after she had given birth to a son. That's it. It just happened. Mary carried the child to term. Mary gave birth. Joseph named him Jesus. God saves just as the angel told him to. And that's it. Why does God not dwell on the events of Jesus' physical birth? Probably because those things aren't the important part of this. We don't need to know how it happened. We don't really need to know well, was it a stable or was it a something else? Would it have looked like a, a cave or would it have looked like a barn? Or would there have been critters around or would it have been cleaned up? We don't need to know. It was humble. And it was like every other birth that's ever happened. Bloody and sweaty and painful and all the rest. But the important thing to know is this. God came to earth in flesh. The important thing is to realize God kept his promise. The important thing is that the Savior was born. The important thing is that though humanity had rebelled and fought against God for years, God was coming into the world to redeem for himself a people, a nation. God entered into humanity in order to save a people for himself, and to show off his glory by displaying his mercy towards sinners. Is it really that important, by the way, that you believe this story? Is it really crucial that we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Listen to the quote here from John MacArthur. But to ignore the virgin birth is to ignore Christ's deity. And to ignore his deity is tantamount to denying it. Real incarnation demands a real virgin birth. So here's the simple truth. If Jesus is going to save us from our sins, 
If Jesus is going to let us have life forever with God, he had to be both truly God and truly human. Jesus had to be human in order to rightly represent us and rightly be our sacrificial substitute dying in our place. By the way, the first 17 verses of Matthew's gospel, those are the proof that Jesus was really human, really part of our race, really qualifying to be the Savior. But Jesus has to be God and not just a man in order to pay the infinite penalty that we have all earned for sinning against an infinitely holy God. Well, verses 18 to 25 of Matthew chapter 1 are the other side of Jesus' family tree. They're the God side, proving that Jesus wasn't only human, but he was also God in the flesh. So yes, it is crucial that you believe that this story is true. Now let's wrap up really just making two quick application thoughts. If you're here this morning visiting on the Sunday before Christmas or if you're listening to this sermon later, maybe online because people do that, let me tell you, I am thrilled that you're hearing this word from God. And maybe it's possible that someone's here or hearing this who hasn't worked out why this whole Christmas stuff is such a big deal. Well, here's the easy answer to the question. All people everywhere have rebelled against God. That includes you. That includes me. And God should punish us for our sin against him, rightly. In fact, the Bible says he should send us all to hell forever. But like Joseph, who didn't want to punish Mary, God isn't really longing to punish us. So God made a way to save his people from their sins. He sent Jesus, God's own son, to earth. And Jesus was born of a virgin, as we just heard. And he lived out a life that was absolutely perfect. And then he went to the cross and he died as a sacrifice for all of the sins of all of the people who would ever come to faith in him. God punished Jesus in our place, giving him our just penalty. And then Jesus came back from the dead, proving for everyone to see that he had fully paid the price for the sins of others and that he could defeat death itself. And here's what you need to know. You can be forgiven by God through Jesus and only through Jesus. How? You put your trust in who Jesus is. You put your trust in what Jesus has done. You let go of your life and hand it to Him. And if you believe in Jesus as God in the flesh, if you believe that His sacrifice is enough to cover your sins, if you will believe that He rose from the grave and that He's alive right now, God says He will forgive you of your sins. He will give you the gift of life forever together together with Him. He will make you, He will call you clean before Him. It's a huge gift. And a huge promise. Now most of us here this morning are here as believers in Christ. And here's what I urge you to do. Remember this glorious story God brought to pass really more than 2,000 years ago. Thank God for what God has done. Thank God for Jesus. And commit your life even today to living to display the glory of God to the world that's all around you. Let's bow together in prayer.
Lord God, there's so much, so much good in your word. And we declare that we believe. We believe the story. We believe in the Son of God. We believe He died to pay the price for our sins. We believe He rose from the grave. But we also believe that He, the Lord Jesus, is God with us, our only hope. And we would ask you that this morning, give us the joy of knowing this and celebrating it together. If anyone here doesn't know you, rescue their souls. For those who do know you, let us worship you this Christmas. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song of joy that the Father sent His Son to be our rescuer. If you need to talk to me 